0: Before we get into this week's Getting There with Goss, it's telling about the people that make this show possible. Our great sponsors our partners like Jared Lozier at Northeastern Insurance. Whether he's enjoying some drinks with us in the Capital Region or helping you save cash, Jared, somebody you want on your side for 2022. 518-956-3753. 518-956-3753. That's Jared's number. Simple and easy this. You shoot him a text... Give him a call, or you can email him, J-A-R-E-D-L, at com to save money. How often are you even looking at your quotes for the insurance policies you're paying for for the year? Whether it's your car, your home, your small business, the things that need to be insured, you just might set it and leave it for the rest of the year, but you're not checking on the quote. How much money you can actually save? Think about that, that at the end of the year, you look back and save cash just because you made one phone call, one text for a free quote. Jerry Lozier at Northeastern Insurance wants to shop the market for you. And you can do it right now. I'll give you that email again, J A R E D L at N-E-Mail dot com. It's one of my favorite things to happen in two thousand and twenty-two when you're out with somebody at an event and they mention Jared to you about how much money they saved using him, Jared Lozier, Northeastern Insurance, proud sponsor, Godzilla Media. Shout out to Jared. Hopefully, we'll have a drink and some food again soon. Jared Lozier, Northeastern Insurance, and my friends over at Lily and David Fine Jewelers, located at their new spot, the Shops of Whitnoff, Route Fifty. Guys especially, you know the spring's here, so maybe you're getting ready for that proposal. To change it from girlfriend to fiance, you've got to get the right ring. It's where I had gone to just a few years ago and bought my engagement ring. I could not ask for more. The walk through the process of guys, here's what fits your budget, here's what she's going to love, here's why she's going to love it, and also maybe some advice on the proposal. It all happens right there. Shout out to David and Alyssa the whole crew. That will help you find exactly what she wants. Now, some of you already popped the question. Some of you are already engaged. Hopefully you went to Lily and David. But if you didn't, you could still head over there and check out their wedding band sales. Saving that cash as you get ready for your big day. If you've got an anniversary, a birthday, or even a holiday gift that you want to celebrate and you're looking to mix it up a little bit and try something different, Lily and David Fine Jewelers has exactly what she wants right there. To celebrate those great occasions, you got to make sure you get that great piece of jewelry. And with that wide selection now at their new location at the Shops of Wilton, they'll have exactly what you want. Well, are about to find out that she wants Lily and David, a family owned and operated business that you can support in the capital region. Again, it's off of Route 50, their new location. The shops of Wilton have been inside. You're gonna find exactly what she wants there. Lily and David find jewelers, check them out on Facebook as well for updates and more. When you stop in, tell them or heard about it right here from Getting There with Goss. Here we go with this week's Getting There with Goz. <laughs> Another edition here of Getting There with Guys, where we talk about the career journeys of athletes, coaches, business owners, media members, and more across upstate New York. Michael Tricarico, the voice of the Syracuse Mets, joins us. Michael, six, seven, eight years old. Tell us where you grew up. What you want to be as a kid? And was that same dream job you wanted when you were eighteen years old?
1: Uh, it's it's interesting. So I I grew up in North Syracuse, New York. I uh, went to Cicero North Syracuse High School, and uh, you know, growing up, I I never thought. Uh, necessarily, that you know, play by play broadcasting or sports broadcasting was was what I wanted to do. Uh, in seventh grade, my middle school actually had a uh, built a, as part of renovations, built a, a studio to do video morning announcements. And I got involved with that. And that was the first time I thought that broadcasting might be something I'd be interested in. I grew up watching sports Center, So the dream at that point was to be a, a sports center anchor. And things sort of took off uh, from there. Uh, play-by-play broadcasting was something that was brought to my attention uh, more so in tenth grade or in ninth grade, I should say. I did a, I, I had a mentor uh, program as part of a class I was in, and I was actually paired up with with Matt Park, who's the voice of the Syracuse Orange. So it was at that point that I I got my first look into play-by-play broadcasting, and and from uh, from there on, you know, play by play w- was something that uh, really piqued my interest, uh, you know, before I eventually was applying to, to colleges and Syracuse was towards the top of the list. But what's interesting about all of that is even though it wasn't until that seventh grade time frame when, when uh, I actually thought about sports broadcasting as a career, uh, growing up, I actually had a little tiny recorder with me and I would uh, broadcast myself playing uh, video games mainly backyard football on the computer I even have some recordings of of myself doing uh, you know play-by-play of a Syracuse basketball game against Pittsburgh actually back in 2003 when they upset Pittsburgh during that championship season I think there's even a, a football broadcast like Syracuse Virginia Tech football I have that I did play-by-play for when I was uh, when I was young I think that that might have even been as young as four years old four or five years old and I still have have those tapes. Again, it was at that point it wasn't like, hey, this is what I want to do when I when I grow up. It was just something I enjoyed doing. And it and it wasn't really until that, you know, seventh grade year that that I even considered sports broadcasting. But it's just funny that I do it now and it it turns out maybe it's just something uh, you know, it was always meant to do, I suppose.
0: Let's add some context here for those listening outside Central New York. Cicero, North Syracuse, CNS, your high school Brianna Stewart, one of the great basketball players of all time. That timeline's pretty close to matching up. Were you and Brianna in the same grade? And also Beth Moens, first female to call money in football. Did you have any relationship at all with those two fellow CNS alumni?
1: Brianna Stewart was a year ahead of me. So uh, I got to see her uh, up close. uh, Even played against her a little bit in in some scrimmages uh, when, when her team was Inevitably going on to, to try and win states, some of the guys from the boys team would would sometimes uh, scrimmage during during uh, those title runs that they had to help out. She even uh, she she did a, a CNS basketball camp. Uh, there's a boys basketball camp. And, and during every uh, every camp, we would have a coaches game and it would be the the old school players, which were all the, uh, you know, alums or all the, the coaches that were there uh, against the new school players who were the current uh, you know, high school basketball players that were, that were helping out at the camp. And, uh, well, the old school team brought Brianna in as a ringer against us new school guys. And despite us having probably a, a five- or six-point lead in, in like the final 90 seconds, Brianna finally took over. You know, she was kind of feeling her way through, letting everyone else you know, have their time to shine. And then uh, when, when push came to shove, when she needed to, to hit a couple of baskets to hit, give her team the win, you know, I think she hit like back-to-back threes in a layup, and we we went from you know five or six point lead to so we lost by two. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I definitely had my my run-ins with uh, with Brianna, uh, Beth. I certainly knew of uh, you know as someone who, you know, of course, uh, not only was an accomplished athlete uh, both in in high school but in college, but now of course is you know, one of the best broadcasters out there. I don't think I ever met Beth in high school, but I've met her plenty of times, uh, whether it was while I was in college or even uh, after graduating. And uh, just she's one of the, the best people out there. She's always been so good to me. So anytime I see her, we always we always talk about CNS. It always comes up. So, hey, there's my there's there's our CNS friend. So. Uh we, we definitely talk about, about that anytime we see each other.
0: It's great stuff to hear about that journey, what you're able to do at CNS and the connections you're able to build. Now, this is the part of the podcast where you usually ask about what college or if at all you attend college and why. You've already basically teased it and set it up for me that Syracuse seems to be the landing spot for the connection with Matt Parker. For those who don't know, not only is Matt the voice of Syracuse Orange basketball and football, also a professor at Syracuse University. So take us through it. Was it always Syracuse? Did you even consider attending any other school?
1: Syracuse was always the place I wanted to go, but I think I ended up applying to maybe eight or nine different schools. Um, You know, growing up, I I always wanted to go to Syracuse. It it wasn't necessarily the actually, in fact, growing up, it wasn't the broadcasting school. I had no idea what Syracuse had one of, if not the best sports uh, or just broadcasting schools in general in the country. Um, you know, but I grew up going to Syracuse football and basketball games. So it was always my favorite school so I wanted to play college basketball, uh, at Syracuse that, that may not have worked out, but, um, you know, of course wanting to get into sports broadcasting and then realizing that, you know, Syracuse has new house, the, you know, best broadcasting school out there. It was just a perfect, uh, match. It couldn't have worked out any better. Um, you know, I did go through a long application process of, visiting different schools and um, you know going to Oswego and Hofstra northeastern uh, you know Boston University I mean there, there are a lot of schools out there I enjoyed the the visiting process at all of them but in the end it, it was probably always going to be Syracuse and, and that's what it turned out to be
0: I've joked around in previous episodes with your fellow alumni of Syracuse about that first day on campus that first meeting it's almost become legendary at waER where you get these aspiring broadcasters across the country trying to become the next big name in broadcaster, at least trying to become professional broadcasters on the sports field. What was that experience like for you, day one of that? It feels like that summer meetup for freshman football players of Michael Tricarico, day one, WAER.
1: Yeah, um, you know, I remember Matt told me, uh, you know, some of his advice. He was like, when you get to Syracuse, you got to go to WAER. Because still at that point, you know, play by play was on my radar, but I still had that idea of maybe I want to be a sports center anchor. Um, you know, but he said no matter what, you, you want to get involved at, at WAER. And uh, you know, later on, I, I certainly got involved in other places, whether it was Z89, one of the other radio stations there, or Citrus TV, which is the student-run television station. You know, WAER was definitely my focus. Um, and I think that worked out really well for me. Um, you know, that, that, that first time, uh, you know, I think you, 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 everyone wants to go there. All the freshmen want to get there. And, and they always tell you, you know, whoa, 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 you know, we'll send out our, uh, you know, our, our general interest email about here's where you can go to learn more information. If, so you you have to wait a couple of weeks when you're a freshman wanting to, to get involved. But um, you know, I do remember, um, you know getting the contact info for the, the sports director uh, at the time that was there I believe it was Ben Fontana uh, was the sports director when I started out as a freshman so uh, just getting his contact info introducing myself um, you know and I think introducing yourself to anybody is is a, a really key point um, you know for people to, to take away is, is um, you know never be afraid to introduce yourself uh, that's something that uh, you know I, we could definitely talk about later on but but that's Introducing myself to some people got me to to the point I am now, um, you know. But you you, you try and uh, you know figure out, work your way around, uh, you know where you're going. The the radio station there and, and everything else that's going on, trying to to get adjusted to the college life. But WAER was certainly um, you know the one spot I wanted to start out in, and um, you know while it could be a little bit intimidating at first, uh, you know you always hear about oh, you know, Newhouse in Syracuse, it's so cutthroat. I mean, I heard story when I visited other schools, they they would tell me stories about how they heard of, uh, you know, someone getting up from their workstation during a class and and somebody ended up deleting their work. I, I mean, I, you know, I don't know if that's sure or not, but it's certainly not the experience I had. You know, the people at WAER, were, we were certainly competitive and, and all, all around it at Newhouse and Syracuse, you know, we're competitive, but um, you know, A lot of those people became the, you know, the best friends that I had during my, my four years at, at Syracuse.
0: Yeah, and that first year in particular, learning the craft, learning how to become a sports broadcaster. For you in particular, what did you find that freshman year that started your career to make you a better broadcaster?
1: The whole play-by-play aspect of WAER or really anything uh, on campus doesn't happen until maybe your sophomore or junior year. The first thing that they do... Um, a, you know, at, at WAER is as they make you write a two minute update and record it. And, and that's how you start because you're not just doing play by play. But, uh, you know, the students that are part of the sports department give uh, two minute sports updates every morning uh, and in the afternoon. So there's a little bit of a rotation with that. So to get on air, you actually have to write these these two minute sports updates. Uh, you have to record them and then you have a a, a PD, which is a personnel director, uh, essentially a mentor during your time that's a couple of years older that goes over those, uh, those updates. You, know, you write them, you record them, and they sit down with you and they go over the writing, how to write, how to write well, um, you know, your delivery. And it, it's really a, a, a big process and a long process. I mean, at WAER, a lot of people don't get cleared until they're, they're uh, you know, to the next step until their sophomore year. You start out as a writer, Then you go on to uh, to desk, which is, um, you know, okay. you've 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 cleared the first hurdle. Now, now as the second hurdle, now we're going to, you know, uh, pretend you're giving these updates, but you're just not on the air yet. So now every morning you would give three updates. So you go in at six o'clock in the morning. You write three different updates. You record three different updates. And now you go over those, uh, you know, with with someone who's higher up, the sports director. And uh, that's the person that eventually clears you. So I was fortunate where by the end of my freshman year, I did get cleared to that that second step, which allowed me to hit the ground running. But I didn't even get on air at, at WAER until my my sophomore year. And again, that wasn't even play-by-play. That was, uh, that was just to give the updates in the morning and, and create some content during our broadcasts. So we have a pregame show and a halftime show. So it would be to create some stories with that, the play-by-play. Then you start making tapes, you go to games, Uh, You you make tapes on your phone and uh, go over those with the sports director who will eventually clear you. And uh, you know, and and you, you get to do some games it's lacrosse as, as a junior and then football and basketball as a senior. So at WAER you you really don't do play by play on the air until uh, generally your junior year at, at the earliest. And normally it's, it's late junior year. Uh, Z89 is another radio station that's over there. Generally you get started there a little bit earlier um, you know, maybe you, you get on air more so as a sophomore, junior doing play by play. and there's a, a similar progression there, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the play by play aspect of it comes a lot later, which I think, um, really lends well to your development as a broadcaster. You know, some schools certainly use, uh, the ability to get on air as a freshman as a selling point. And I, I certainly think there's some value to that. Um, you know, but if you're, you know, going on air and, and you haven't worked on your delivery or anything like that, you know, it, it'll be a, 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 certainly a different process. So to have, you know, the ability to work on your delivery, work on your voice, things like that certainly helped, I think my development. Um, and that's not to say I didn't, I didn't get the chance to do, you know, other on-air things. I was fortunate enough to make a connection with uh, somebody at LeMoyne college, Kevin McNeil, who, who is running their um, you know, their, online TV broadcasts essentially. And I, I was doing women's basketball and, and men's and women's lacrosse for, for LeMoyne as, as a freshman. And that, you know, opportunity just kind of popped up, happened to, uh, you know, talk to, uh, to one of the, the juniors that uh, I think I might've just happened to to run into them after, after dinner at, at one of the dining halls and they said, Oh yeah, we're going to a meeting for, for something else. And it just so happened this guy from LeMoyne as part of that meeting was, was uh, needed some people and and I said, "Geez, can I go?" And they said, "Yeah, come on along." And happened to go there and make that connection and and ended up uh, doing some play by play that way. So I certainly was was busy that that first year and for years to come and was kind of all over the place.
0: And here's the only thing I don't want to overlook here: you are a local guy working in Syracuse and Syracuse is a national school. It's really rare to have a local voice from Central New York understand the high schools, understand the history. Of what's going on at this university for their sports team. You grew up with it. It gave you an advantage. And not only does it give you an advantage working with Syracuse, it gives you an advantage knowing some of these local schools. You mentioned LeMoyne, and there's also a connection that turns into a wild summer for you, not just Syracuse basketball. And we can discuss that a little bit of how those teams played in that tenure when you were there. But also working with Jason Benetti, and Kevin Brown of the then Syracuse Chiefs and the opportunity that arises in your career working with those two people.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, there was a lot, a lot certainly going on. Uh, you know, I was fortunate during my time at Syracuse that at least the first, uh, at least for a majority of the time, the, the sports were all right. You know, basketball, obviously, basketball went to a final four my junior year. Um, there was the Rakeem Christmas year where, where Syracuse... Uh, you know, obviously uh, had, had the self-imposed uh, post-ban that, that season. But uh, there were certainly a lot of opportunities. Um, and, you know, I talk about, you know, making connections. I think maybe the most consequential moment of my, um, you know, of my freshman year might have been uh, after a Syracuse basketball game. There was It was an early season game uh, my freshman year. It was actually right after I had made that connection with uh, Kevin McNeil at Lemoyne. And I was going to be calling a women's basketball game that next day. Uh, Jason Benetti happened to be calling the Syracuse basketball game. I think it was against Colgate. He was calling the game for ESPNU. I knew he was a broadcaster, didn't know too much about Jason, but I knew I was going to be calling that women's game the next day. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to introduce myself and, and ask him for advice. So I, I go up to Jason and I say, hi, Jason, my name's Michael Tricarico. And he stops for a second, looks at me and he says, you're from CNS, right? And I said, how'd you know that? Well, the backstory of that I left out slightly is that I did introduce myself to him uh, a couple of years before that. I, and I did know that at the time. I mean, that's how I did know Jason. Uh, he was a play-by-play broadcaster for Time Order Cable Sports Channel at the time and he was calling a, a, a CNS football game at CNS for Time Warner Cable. I was probably a sophomore or junior at the time, and I did a similar thing. I, I went up to him. I introduced myself. Hey, Jason, my name's Michael Tricarico. I want to do what you're doing. Do you have any advice? And, um, you know, introducing myself to him at that point when I was in high school, just certainly uh, somehow Jason – I mean, I learned two things at, at that point once I introduced myself to him the second time after the basketball game. First of all, uh, you know, introducing yourself is certainly important, but second of all, Jason's just got a, a magnificent memory because, you know, <laughs> even if you introduce your, to yourself to someone a couple of years before that, like who, who remembers that? So Jason's certainly uh, certainly unique in that respect, but the fact that I had introduced myself to him back when I was in high school and then decided to, to do the same you know, a couple of years later at, at Syracuse and made a difference because, um you know, at that point I said, hey, I'm doing this this basketball game tomorrow. Do you have any advice? And he said, tough for me to give you advice without having heard you. Here's my email. When you do the game, send me the, the, uh, the link to it and we'll go over it. And, uh, you know, since then, Jason's been, um, you know, not just a, a great mentor, but a close friend, um, you know, because getting to know him then – I ended up working with both he and, and Kevin Brown during the, uh, the Syracuse Chiefs season that next summer in 2014. And, and that was probably the most important summer to uh, to helping me get to where I am now, because it was my first experience in baseball and getting to work alongside, you know, two guys who are currently major league broadcasters and broadcasting national games for ESPN. Uh, you know, certainly that that experience was invaluable.
0: Your boldness, benefiting your career. And shout out to Jason Benetti, right? He shows off that lawyer brain right now, remembering stuff like that. Awesome that he has that memory can recall that. But I want to go back a little bit here for a second because he mentions that in the tape. The tape can be the most intimidating part of it. There are some people who stop becoming a broadcaster in sports because they can never get over that spot of sending somebody they respect their actual on-air demo because of the criticism they might face, because of the nerves, because, oh, my God, they're going to say I'm actually not good or they're going to tell me I did this poorly. How much intimidation and and borderline fear was it to send a tape?
1: It's interesting because I have those those thoughts a lot of times today. If I'm so critical of myself that if I listen to a tape and it doesn't sound perfect to me, it's like, do I send this to someone? Do I not? And the, the correct answer is always just send it just send the tape. It's never going to be perfect. You know, there, there are things and, and I was fortunate, um, you know, back when I first met Jason, you know, I did the game and he actually, he reached, I think he might've even reached out to me before I even, you know, got to him with the tape, you know, asking how, how the game went. And I just, I I just sent him the link. Here's the link to the tape. I think there were highlights too. I sent him, um, I, I think even later that year, I, I, and I sent him some stuff, you know, I, I would send him, whether it be stretches from that game or at least the highlights that, that LeMoyne had posted on YouTube, I would send those to him and, and we would work on things. Uh, at one point it was either later that year or, or maybe next year. He sent me an email that had the link of, if it wasn't the first game, it was one of the first games I did. And he said, it's so fun to listen to the progress you've made. And I agree. I mean, I, I think that to this day, whether it's stuff from this year to last year that I do, but especially when you look back at that stuff, I mean, it's embarrassing to listen to. <laughs> How did anyone let me on the air to do this? You know, you, it, to see that progression and to see the progress you made, I think is, is definitely so rewarding. I mean, I, I think that especially about, uh, you know, uh, the Syracuse Chiefs season in, in 2014, uh, you know, after my freshman year of college, I'm interning with, with Jason and Kevin. And uh, Jason at that, that summer got a job with, with ESPN and ended up leaving. uh, I believe it was like at the beginning of August. And uh, there were some games that were on both television and radio. So Kevin Brown was going to do the games on TV. They needed someone to do games on radio. So, um, you know, they gave me the ability to, to get some innings on air. And and, I continued to make tapes throughout the entire season, even before I knew I was, I was going to get that opportunity, but, uh, then I got the opportunity to be on air and be, you know, the lead broadcaster on the radio for, you know, at the time of Syracuse chiefs game. And I listened back to the, I listened back to those like the summer after I did it. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like why, how, how did they let me on the air? I suppose they just didn't have any other options, but sometimes it works out in your favor. And um, you know, it's, it's still fun to, to have those tapes and listen back and, and know that, you know, I was just able to have that experience. And um, you know, again, that was my first, first experience in baseball and I've done baseball every summer since. And of course, now I'm, I'm back with, with the organization that I started with. So it, it's just all come full circle.
0: You're being a little too hard on yourself there, man. I know in 2014, this is where you and I got to work together for the first time. I know that if Kevin and Jason were going to let somebody on that broadcast beside themselves, they had to be pretty good. And that was you. And it's been so awesome in similar fashion to you talking about your career, watching it from afar, moving out to the Capital Region, and watching you progress as a broadcaster has been awesome. And you know I'm especially rooting for you as a Syracuse native. You're a Syracuse native to call your hometown team to see what's happening now, to see where you've grown. It's been an awesome thing. We're going to get to that getting there spot of the Syracuse Mets, but I think it's important to add this because you are the first guest we've had to have this happen in their career that I know of. And it's developing by being a spotter. For those that don't know, what is a spotter and how has it helped your career as a broadcaster?
1: Yeah, so as a spotter, and they, I think they even call them talent spotters. I first heard, I mean, I, I did the job. It didn't matter what they, they called it, but a talent spotter. I'm like, not really. I'm not spotting. It's so misleading because I'm not spotting talent. <laughs> and, I mean, I, I suppose the talent is on the field, but you know, the talent, they consider the talent the, the announcers, so the play-by-play broadcaster and the and the color commentator, so um, you know, I got my start as a spotter with Jason when he, he got the job at ESPN, he was doing the, the high school package, he did some college games as well. But, um, you know, one thing I didn't even realize, and I think a lot of people don't is uh, every play by play broadcaster for football games has not just a, uh, a, a person who does stats with them, but a talent spotter who will stand next to the broadcaster, and will identify the players on the football field. Uh, by pointing at the spotting board or the chart that a play-by-play broadcaster has with all of the player numbers and names and information on it. So I would be standing next to Jason, and I would be pointing out, here's the guy that made the catch. Here's the running back that's in the game. Here's the guy that made the tackle. You point to those things on the sport, uh, spotting board. So when the play-by-play broadcaster is on the air and he's naming all these people, um, you know, he has a little bit uh, of he or she has has a little bit of help uh, you know when they're doing it it's all it can be a little bit stressful cuz if you point to the wrong name that's totally on you i mean it, and it's the worst it would be i'm it's the worst feeling because you know you're not the one people people are just going to you know get on the play by play broadcaster they don't know there's someone else that's there that might be pointing to uh, to a name but um, you know it, it was a really fun experience i got to travel a lot of fun places because of that uh, you know, as a freshman and and uh, at that, I guess it was a sophomore, as a sophomore and junior, you know, where I'm traveling to Orlando, to Las Vegas, San Francisco, San Diego, uh, lots of places that I just had never been. I mean, the, the most unfortunate part about it is I was in Las Vegas twice in I think like a two or three month stretch. But because I wasn't 21, I couldn't do anything there. I remember <laughs> our, our hotel had had a casino in the lobby and there was $5 blackjack that some of the people of our, the members of our crew were were sitting down playing. I was just there watching and uh, and one of the people working there was like, oh, can I see your ID? I'm like, oh, I'm I'm not playing. And they're like, I need to see your ID. I'm like, well, I'm not 21. Uh, All right, guys, I'm going up to bed. <laughs> Sorry. I'm
0: glad you shared that story because it gave me a perfect segue and a way to end this to the interview because as you are a broadcaster, you can have to find ways to pass the time, especially as young broadcasters. You mentioned you can't, do the things you want to do at 21 years old. There's a rumor out there and I've always wanted to ask you if this is true. Is it true that you are a fantastic mini golf player, in fact so good you might hold the record for the lowest score at Fairmount Glen Mini Golf?
1: Yeah, so uh mini golf is mini golf is our thing. Um ever since that 24, I had never heard I and mean, I was in Syracuse, I'd never heard of uh, Fairmount Glen uh, miniature golf. But uh during that 2014 season with Kevin and Jason, we had a, a couple of other interns as well. Um and some other, even some people from Syracuse, some of the uh adult staff members at at WAER would would sometimes come to games. And we would all go as a group to Fairmount Glen and uh and we would we would play mini golf. Part part the course is 44, but the goal was always to break 40. If you could break 40 then, uh, then you're a sort you're you're in that top tier, and uh, you know it took us a while to get there. But a, a few of us broke forty. There were some, as we call the miracles at the Glen. Uh, those that seventeenth and eighteenth hole are they can be game changers, and we've had some where someone might go into that final hole with with a one or two stroke lead, and uh, you know they might get a two or three. But if someone aces it on the eighteenth, it it happens. Uh, that that would go in the category of miracle at the Glen. but uh, one, one of those one of those times that we went and it's open till midnight. The, the best part about it is it's open till midnight. So we wouldn't go during the day. We would wait, we'd you know call the game, do all our post game stuff and then okay, what time is it? 1030. All right, We'll go over to the Glen. Uh, but yeah, breaking 40 is always that that goal. And one time uh, Kevin was keep, uh, keeping track of the, the score, I wasn't in my head really paying attention. I knew I was doing well, but we got to like the 14th hole, uh, 14th or 15th hole. And he's like adding it up and he's going, you got like, I think it was like 25 or 26 with like three or four holes left. I ended up with a 33, which really? at, at this point has never been touched. And I, I'm not sure it will ever be touched again, but uh, you know, just a little, you know, pat on the back there for me. Uh, if if you're, if you're uh you know, up for mini golf, uh, we'll, we'll show you a good time at, at Fairmount Glen.
0: Is <laughs> somebody who grew up on the west side of Syracuse, Salve Bishop, and West Hill, West Tennessee? I know some graduates of those schools are just going to zoom forward to this part of the podcast. You know what? I'm not even putting up a video part of the podcast. I don't like how the sound is on the video side on this episode, anyways. And I'm okay sharing that with you. Like, I'm just going to aggregate that. I'm just going to take that. Snip it and post it and let people argue in the comments or share it or do whatever they want. So audio only. We're sharing that clip to aggregate it. And maybe we'll tag Kevin and Jason and everybody else. And we'll get some challengers this season for Syracuse Met Games to take you on at the Glen. All right. So as much fun as you want to have as a mini golfer and maybe you want that to be your career, you do have to leave Syracuse University what is the first opportunity you are given? How do you seek it out? Take us through it. How do you become a professional broadcaster post Syracuse for the first opportunity?
1: Yeah, so the first opportunity ended up being in Fort Wayne, Indiana, um, which which really there was only one other time I've been outside of Syracuse to this point. I mean, besides some of the travels and stuff, but after that year with with the Chiefs in 2014, I was uh, I did the Cape Cod Baseball League. So it's probably the best collegiate league. Um, you know, in the country and, and a summer on Cape Cod, you know, there, there there aren't too many things that that beat that. So, so that I almost view as my almost almost my first co- true college experience where I was, you know, I mean, I, at Syracuse, I, I lived on campus and all that, but but I was always 10 15 minutes from home. Cape Cod, I was away from home for you know, three months. That was that was the longest I'd ever been away from home. So, you know, I did Cape Cod, I got the the team I was with, Falmouth, that was actually from. Um a, another student at WAER. Two of them actually, and there's always a lot of Syracuse students who who uh do the Cape Cod League. So they had done the Falmouth Commodores. They saw the work I had done with the Chiefs and they said, Hey, you know, we've had a, a person from Syracuse with Falmouth for like four, five, six years in a row. I mean, it was it was just like a pipeline of Syracuse kids um doing Falmouth. Um so so I did Falmouth. One of the guys who had done Falmouth, his name was John Nolan, which will be an important name in a second. Um, But I did Cape Cod. One of the guys who did the Cape Cod League for Falmouth, who kind of got me into that position, he did the Auburn double days that same year. And he, again, at the end of the year, contacted me and said, hey, I'm not going back to Auburn, but the following year, if you want to, you know, if you want to go, I'll get you in touch with those people. So I did Cape Cod. Then I did the Auburn double days after my, my junior year, so now getting into to senior year, John Nolan, who had who had done Falmouth, um, you know, got in touch with me at one point while I was on the Cape. Uh, we talked a little bit, but really weren't in touch much after that. My senior year, John reaches out. He's the lead broadcaster for the Fort Wayne Tin Caps in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and he asked me you know what my plans were, what I was, uh, was of thinking about doing. And he asked if, if I wanted to be, uh, you know, his number two in, in Fort Wayne. So um, I kind of was fortunate where I, I, I set my schedule up. And, and the entire time I was at Syracuse, I set things up where if I needed to graduate a semester early, I could because I knew baseball opportunities. You know, Auburn worked out because it was short season. It started in June. You know, the school year was already over. Full season baseball starts you know, beginning of April. And a lot of times they want you there in March. And if you're still taking classes, then it's just impossible to do. So I didn't end up graduating early, but I had enough credits where I, I I ended up taking like just a performance class for fun. And um, I I guess I'll humble brag here. I was, I think it was like two credits shy of, of a double major in political science. So I, I found a, I, I found some extra credits that I, that I, that they weren't giving me credit for to get it down to two, and then I ended up finding a community college, a New York community college, that offered a class that Syracuse would take. I ended up taking that uh, like second semester online of, of my senior year while I was in Fort Wayne to to get that uh, that political science double major. But um, you know, because I had my schedule set up where I didn't have to be in Syracuse, I was able to go out to Fort Wayne and again got fortunate that I I didn't reach out to John. He just knew me through Falmouth. He knew me through talking. I, I think to Jason and Kevin. You know they recommended me to him. Um, you know and and I, it it's it's, it's it, some some of these things I'm saying it and like even my mom will say like you've gotten lucky a little bit. Things have fallen in your lap, um, but you know and, and she she says this as well. You know you got to put yourself in that position. Um, so I, I I've definitely been fortunate of. You know talking to the right people and um and that leading me to pretty much every job i've I've gotten you know and 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 that job at at Fort Wayne, but at the same time, you know it was doing good work while at those positions where you know if I didn't do a good job that that year I was with Jason and Kevin, then you know that's it, but you know you you do a good job, you do good work, and you know you you get recommended if somebody asks. so I think that was that was really important for me. You know, I, I got that job, you know, John, uh, John reached out to me, I, I was able to make it work, went out to Fort Wayne that, you know, uh, that first true job out of school, you know, was there until until September. And then once the, the that season ended, it was it was back here to Syracuse. And, um, you know, fortunately, Kevin Brown got a job with ESPN and a, a job opened up at the perfect time with, uh, you know, at the time, the Syracuse Chiefs going into the 2018 season. And, you know, I applied, and Eric Galante, uh, you know, was the guy there, and I was fortunate enough that Eric ended up hiring me, and, and I worked with him, and uh, that's where I am now, still still with Syracuse, just now as the Mets.
0: Crazy to hear that story come together, and the opportunities, and the path your career is taking. and by the way, welcome to the club, you're now the third person on the history of getting there with Goss with that communications, political science, double major, Chet Davis here locally, Albany, also a Syracuse alum like yourself political science, communications, and me, political science, communications, media and society at Hobart College as well. Did you just do it because you liked political science? Were you interested? Would you advise the double major or advise students to follow a similar path of yours?
1: Yeah, no, I think it was definitely, I mean, it, it was certainly that I liked political science. I, I had a lot of credits in, in political science going in. And, and because it was something that interested me and I needed, you know, credits in, in sort of a core curriculum, those counted. So it just, it just, uh, just kind of made, made perfect sense. I mean, I think anything you could take in college that interests you uh, to continue to learn, even if it's outside of, of, uh, you know, maybe what you want to go into just take things that interest you. You know, I think that's important.
0: It's possible you listening right now. The only time you've heard about the Syracuse Mets, especially if you're outside of central New York is that Tim Tebow played for them. That's where right, the Heisman trophy winning quarterback. I want to find out about your relationship with Tebow what it's like to work with him at the minor league level as Bud Pollock, the Syracuse sports radio used to call Triple A baseball in purgatory, where everyone's trying to get out of Tebow had that attitude. Before we get to your answer on the Tebow thing, I still want to give love to our sponsors who make this podcast possible. This Gons of the Media podcast is brought to you by our partners like John Stone Supply in Troy. The spring is officially here in upstate New York. We hope at least the snow is gone for now. Your furnace, your boilers, your HVAC needs, John Stone Supply, and Troy can help you with that. We've been telling you throughout the entire winter, 2% off a furnace. You just say John Stone Supply, you say John Goodman, Godzilla Media, 2% off, just like that. Your boiler as well, whether you're a homeowner or you're looking to buy a home, these things are so important. You want to have somebody on your side when you're going through these things that maybe you're not exactly comfortable with. 518 272 5922. 518 272 5922. That is the number at Johnstone Supply in Troy. Say what's up to our guy George, Kev, Tom, James, whoever it might be. They want to make sure they can help you. And if you stop in at Sixth Avenue in Troy, the best price is guaranteed on Milwaukee Tools. If you got that spring project on the way, the tools you need right there in store. Say what's up to everybody. Say you heard it here from the Media. They're going to say, what's up? Just proud sponsors, by the way, man, helping us promote us in store. We appreciate all that cool stuff, man. Johnstone Supply in Troy The spring is here. It's your spot to make sure you're ready to go with all the changes on the way in 2022. And again, make sure we connect with them. Godzilla Media is the spot you heard it from. And our friends over at Mohawk Honda. Now, maybe the road trips are on the way. Maybe you've got a big vacation planned for spring break. Maybe the summer's just around the corner and you're taking that long drive. You need a vehicle that can last throughout those great moments and memories. You can find it at Mohawk Honda. You don't want to have that memory on your spring break or your summer vacation being that you broke down. That you had to pay a ridiculous amount for gas because your vehicle is not equipped for the new prices. Work with the great people in Mohawk Honda to find you a vehicle. If it's your style, your budget, your lifestyle, and more. Mohawk Honda, Glenville, New York. Shout out to our guy, Greg Johnson, Ken McKenna, Brian McKenna. You hear the names all the time. Lindsay Heredon nick and nate and social media we could run through everybody's name but just check them out on social media facebook twitter instagram watch the plate change challenge It wraps up here in march it's got a few more days too in march if you're looking to donate your athletic stuff your your gear whatever it might be whether it's that hockey stick that basketball that hoop whatever it might be they're helping out people here in the capital region and upstate new york here in the month of march as we had in april as well New ride, new vehicle, people that you can trust during the carbine experience. Wherever you're listening in upstate New York, it is worth the drive to Glenville to get that vehicle you want and the inventory you're looking for. It is Mohawk Honda, where they always go out of their way to please you. Now, Michael Tricarico, voice of the Syracuse Mets. Let's hear about Tim Tebow.
1: Yeah, uh, the relationship with Tim was great. Um, You know, it it was, and I I wasn't sure how things were going to work out when I, When, uh, you know, when that first happened, Um, you know, in fact, originally going into the season, I was going to be the number two broadcaster, but I was going to be able to travel all of these places because of Tim, you know, the the media coverage, uh, the Mets knew was going to be big. So they, they wanted to make sure, you know, at at the time as the number two broadcaster, you know um, I was only going to travel to a couple of places, but uh, you know, going into the 2019 season, they wanted to have multiple people there. You know, it it ended up happening where um, Eric, Galanti didn't end up coming back in 2019 and I ended up, uh, you know, moving into that, that lead role. So I had to handle a lot of uh, a lot of media inquiries from, uh, you know, about Tim. Um, You know, he obviously drew a crowd, whether it was, uh, you know, fans or whether it was media, but um, you know, while I think it was a lot and it's, you always feel bad. You're like bringing things to, to him. And he, he had, uh, you know, somebody else that, that helped handle, a lot of the media stuff. So a lot of those uh, requests that I would get would go through, you know, Tim's guy. Um, you know, but sometimes it's tough. Like you, you're, you're, you know, you want to be able to tell all these people, yes, like he'll talk to you, yes, he'll do this. But there's just so much going on that it's impossible for him to be able to uh, to do it all. And it's just that that I think uh, in terms of media relations, I certainly had to learn a lot that year just in terms of how to to handle you know, all of those things. I I certainly, I think ended up, end up now being better for it, but it was certainly a learning process just because there were so many people reaching out to try and talk to Tim. It was the first year of, of the, the New York Mets affiliation with Syracuse. We did have some other big names on the team. Like, I mean, that was the interesting thing. I think it was one thing. and, And I think it was, it was tough for Tim as well, because, you know, it's one thing when he's going up in single A and double A and, and he really is the He's the biggest name, um, you know, but but there's a lot of other guys on the team that, that they just haven't made it yet, you know, so it makes sense that Tim is the guy, and he he played well at, at some of the lower levels. He gets to AAA, and, and, you know, Tim Tebow is still the biggest name. But in terms of baseball, I mean, we have Rajay Davis. We have Carlos Gomez. We have you know World Series champion Gregor Blanco. I mean, we had so many, like, big baseball name guys, veteran guys that, you know, it, it's – I think it was tough for Tim because he he knows there's all these other guys. And he at the time wasn't playing up to, you know, to where he hoped to, you know, how he hoped to perform, you know, but he's still getting all of this attention. Um, you know, the one thing I'll say about Tim is, uh you know, he is as humble as he comes across. I mean, he he was one of the most humble guys, you know, and, and so genuine. Sometimes, you know, I think people wonder, like, OK, he, he comes across as genuine. But is he re- like, is that really who he is? And I think what you see is, is who he is. He's just a really nice guy. And, um, you know, it, it was, it was fun to have him and, and be around all that and and be able to experience that. Um, you know, but to some extent it's nice not to have to, uh, to worry about all the, the media requests that, uh, that you get. Although one interesting thing that happened away from the, the media stuff is, uh, I think it was in Buffalo, um, he was in the parking lot, the like the player parking lot, and of course, there's always people wanting to get autographs and stuff. And there was one guy who I think was there with his son, and Tim, Tim, uh, like didn't sign the guy's bat. You know, he, Tim signed a bunch of autographs, but he just had to get out of there. And I ended up driving uh, to Buffalo because I had a, a cousin who lives in Rochester who had a, a graduation, so I was going to uh, end up driving to Rochester that night. Just to uh, you know, celebrate with my family and be able to see my family. Well, this guy is in Tim Tebow's way as Tim's trying to drive away. He's standing there demanding Tim sign this bat, and I'm like, "Look, I got to get out of here." <laughs> so I have to go up, and this guy was like, kind of, he, he was he was raising his voice a little bit with a baseball bat in hand, uh, <laughs> you know. So I, I mean. I, I probably, I might, maybe I should have approached a little more cautiously, but I was like, Hey, look, like, you know, Tim." he's like, he just needs to sign my bat. I'm like, look, Tim, Tim needs to go. He's got somewhere to be in my head. I'm going, I have somewhere to be. Uh, but fortunately ended up diffusing the situation. And uh, you know, Tim was able to get out of there. And, and uh, from my standpoint, more importantly, I was able to get out of there and, and get to uh, <laughs> my, my, uh, my cousin's place and, and uh, celebrate with them. But um yeah, I mean there was there was certainly a lot of attention around Tim and people always wanted autographs and stuff, but uh, it was interesting. So that's the that's one time I helped Tim Tebow get out of a, a little bit of a situation.
0: Happy to hear that. I'm happy to hear Tim Tebow is safe. I'm happy to hear you're safe and you were able to survive that experience. Good stuff. Try Tebow, all good. Two thousand twenty two. We're taping this in March of two thousand twenty two. So your season's about a week away. How would you describe it? Post-COVID right now, two years from removed from the whole landscape of minor league baseball and changing. Excited? What's the right term to describe your feelings heading into this upcoming Syracuse Mets year?
1: Yeah, I mean, excitement's definitely a, a good way to put it. You know, I, I was fortunate last year where, um, f- from from my standpoint as a broadcaster, it was as close to normal for me as as maybe even more more so than you could have hoped there were a lot of broadcasters, a lot of teams who did not travel their broadcaster, even in the major leagues, you know, those, those teams did not, did not travel their, their broadcast teams. Um, And the same was true in, in the minors for the most part. Uh, I was fortunate where I was considered a covered individual. So I was able to interact with the players. I was able to go in the clubhouse. I was able to travel with the team on the bus. You know, we all got tested. We had to spit into a, a, a tube every few days to get tested for, for COVID. Like I was all part of that, but I was allowed to travel with the team and, and talk to the players in person and all of that. You know, there were a couple of others that did that, but, but we were, we were the unique ones in, in that situation. Um, so I did feel like, you know, as, as, as uh, you know, tough as the situation was in general, you know, I was as close to normal as, as possible. The great thing is this, you're not having to worry about any of that, you know, testing is someone going to test pot. I mean, you know, someone still could, you know, we're not, it's, it's, you know, certainly not past past that uh, for a hundred percent, but it is nice knowing going into a season. We knew when the season was going to start even with the lockout, you know, at, at first you're going, geez, here we go again, you know, are, is it going to start on time or whatnot? But, no matter what minor league baseball was going to start on time. So even with the lock lockout, it was actually sort of peace of mind to know that we're going to play no matter what. So knowing we were going to have a start date, it was going to be, you know, and still is April 5th. Um, and having just that more normal type of off season uh, it's refreshing. I think refreshing is a, is a great way to put it. Um, just to know that, you know, things are going to happen, you know, Tuesday, April 5th, we're going to be, you know, having our opening day and, and uh you know, while while it might not be exactly like it was pre-pandemic, it's, it's certainly going to be, uh, you know, as close to that as possible. I'm going to have a a number two broadcaster in the booth with me, Evan Stockton. He's another Syracuse guy. Uh, he graduated a year after me. So he took a very similar path. Cape League, he did the Auburn double days. I actually pulled him after my year with the, with the double days. You know, I, I pulled him out and said, hey, you know, this is going to open if you want it. So he he did the double days. He did, uh, uh, you know, he, he followed and, and did the, the Fort Wayne tin caps as well. And, uh, you know, and now we're, gonna, we're both going to be in, in Syracuse. So uh, it'll be nice to actually have a, you know, a number two, knowing I'm going to have a number two going in. And, and uh, you know, again, just just being able to know things are going to be more normal than they have been the last couple of years is, is nice to to know.
0: Shout-out to Evan, man. Does an awesome job. Looking forward to hearing him as a part of the broadcast call with you this season. Following you guys from two hours east out here in Albany. Knowing you guys are going to crush it for the Syracuse Mets broadcast. Good things are on the way. Before I let you go, before you start focusing on the season, the podcast is getting there with guys. Somebody who might be listening, hoping to be the next Michael Tricarico. Maybe they're at Cicero North Syracuse. Maybe they're at Salvi, whatever it might be. What's the best advice you can offer a young Aspiring broadcaster to get where you are in your career.
1: Yeah, I think don't be afraid to introduce yourself to people. Um, you know, one of the things Jason had mentioned when I introduced myself and, and I said, like, how do you remember me? It's he, he said, I don't a lot of people. I don't get a lot of people that come up and introduce themselves like a lot of people just don't do that. So just by doing it, you'll make yourself memorable, but you, you never know, um, you know, where that can lead. And, and it, it's worked out for me so far. And, uh, I would definitely say, you know, introduce yourself to as many people as possible. Don't be afraid to, to send tapes out. You know, uh, people can send me tapes. I, I get those all the time. Anytime someone reaches out, it's also just a very easy way to make a connection. Like instead of saying, Hey, is there a job open or, you know, you just send, you know, Hey, you know, my name is so-and-so, um, you know, I'm interested in play-by-play, do you mind listening to, you know, here's a tape of mine, do you mind listening to it? And uh, and I love getting those those types of, of emails, and I love when, when people ask that, you know, because it's great to be able to hear the, you know, I say the next generation of, of broadcasters, uh, you know, some of these people are are my age or just a couple of years younger, but I'm getting to that point where that next generation is going through, uh, you know, for a while there, I still at least knew some people at Syracuse. Uh, it, it's gotten to the point where at, at SU uh, there, there's really no one, no one left there that, that uh, in terms of students that, that were there when I was. So there is that next generation coming through. So yeah, introduce yourself to people and don't be afraid to send tapes, no matter what you might think about them.
0: More experience. We're not going to say you're getting older. More experience in your career. I'm not getting older. That's right. That's the way to think about it. Michael Carrico, the voice of the Syracuse Mets. Looking forward to you and Evan and your entire broadcast team for this 2022 season. Best of luck this spring, this summer. Looking forward to listening to the games. And hopefully we'll bump into each other in Central New York very soon.
1: Hey, thanks so much, guys. Really appreciate you having me on. It's uh, It's been a pleasure.